from Montana to Mexico, Texas to Tajikistan, Alaska to Asia, Colorado to Canada, Rolling Bones Outdoors presents Hunt the World. Our team at Rolling Bones Outdoors is here to help you create memories that will last a lifetime. Are you ready? Let's hunt the world. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Hunt the World with Rolling Bones Outdoors. Welcome to the Bone Cave. We say that every week, but I want you to know that every week we do indeed want to welcome you to the Bone Cave. Um, I'm Brian Maimon, along with Brian Martin, Mountain Man, a.k.a. Mountain Man Martin. Hashtag 393, as always, over there. I passed that bull in the morning, shot him in the evening, and didn't think he was as big as he was until I walked up on him, Brad Dana. And then to my left, Brian, you guys liked that, didn't you? Yeah. Brad, to my left is Bleep, Brian Leslie. So we got Brian, 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 and Brad. BBBB. Um, here for a big episode on Brian Martin's Wyoming elk, which I'm looking at right now. How wide is that sucker? It's 49 by 49. <laughs> 49 by 49. 49 wide by 49 long on the beam beams. Beam beams, yeah. Dude, he is crazy. He's got great fronts, too. Carries his mass, and uh, he is an amazing animal. How many points to draw that? It, it took 15. I had max. A few people that had 14 drew, but everybody had 15 drew. And you had 15. I had 15, and I played for the regular license. How many do you have, Brad? Um, I think I'm two, two left. See, I drew... The third year, I think they they instituted the points. So you have so, like 13 or 12. So I've 13. drawn as a max point holder once, and now I'm on my second rotation. So I'm 13, I think. Will I ever have max points? Oh, no. You're not going to be old enough. You're, what do you you're have? You're going to have gray enough. Two? I have no. I think oh, you have six, seven. I think you have seven. Seven. No, this so, will be eight. So you, you know, you probably, yeah, you probably, I don't know. Are you but you're going to pull the trigger on yeah. a good area. Yeah. That's, yeah, a, I'm gonna, that's under 10 points. I'm going to go on a private land area that I can draw in eight or nine points this year. Because I should have drawn this year, but with creep, I didn't. Right. And so here's the reality of it. I was not putting in for the units that I'm putting in for now. I've always put in for a unit that was really good close here because I could hunt it every day after work. Scott Palmer and I got hosed on this. You day. guys did take it in the shorts, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that's a big shout out to you, Scott. So this year when we draw, I get to shoot first at a big bull because you said you are going on a big bull hunt this next week. Yeah, so. yeah, um, that's uh, right. You're so you're anyway. you're in. So the when you back, listen, when you listen buddy. to this, Palmer, you're in the back seat, tied up, hog tied, pushed away, and here we go. So anyway, bleeps like focus this on Brian Martin's hunt, boys. Let's go. So you were 15 points. You drew this uh, tag and uh, um, and. Uh, you went on uh, public land, killed a great, great bull. Yeah, Wyoming has great public land hunting. And you can go on private land, but some of the best bull hunting and some of the biggest bulls killed in the state of Wyoming have been on public land. Mm -hmm. Where I would say, like Montana, I would say the biggest bulls probably come from private land. You know, like the Custer and, and some of the breaks. It's kind of 50-50, but there's a lot more big bulls, especially on these early season hunts. Um, you know, this was an October 1st opener. So a lot of these big bulls, we didn't have any snow. It was hot. And the big bulls had not really dropped down to the private land that much, at least in this area. Yeah, they were above timberline. Yeah, I mean, these bulls were between 9,500 and 11,200 feet. This was a sheep hunt. Basically sheep. In fact, every day we hunted elk, we were spotting not an equal number of sheep, but a lot of sheep. The most sheep we spotted was nine, nine individual sightings of different groups. One was one ram by himself, and everything else was groups of at least three. Was Do you it even like ram? looking at bighorns, bighorn? 
Well, when they're that far away and they're not that big, it's not that exciting. But knowing that I can draw a tag in this area probably next year, um, it would it's worth even looking will at you hunt it? Would, would you hunt this area next year? I'd hunt everything within th- where I shot the elk within four or five miles. For for sheep? Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of the best places. Uh, and you think there's big sheep in there? Uh, there is 100% big sheep I want, in there. If that, if that old nasty-looking thing survives you should shoot him because you like him and he's no ugly. he's too he's ugly and small and and uh, <laughs> he's a he's a 160 ram high if, if you're if you want to know what they're referencing go to our um instagram page and scroll down and you'll see a ram that we put and it's it's tagged uh, a wyoming old uh, ram you'll see it anyway there's a real old ram it's like a 10 year old ram yeah yeah it is it and might be older but it's, it's at it least a nine a and a half or ten half year old ram and you spotted that scouting for this actual bull that we're talking about today well we so I went in with my friend. So in Wyoming, you have to hunt with an outfitter um, if you hunt wilderness, or you have to do a hunter host with a Wyoming resident. So in this case, I have several friends in Wyoming that I've known, and I went with a good friend, and we went in uh, in July, and we spent about four nights um, scouting and looking at elk, and we probably saw 900 elk. And the funny thing, in July... You could go with a Norwegian up there, and it's perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. Just if you once you actually carry a <laughs> rifle and go for the hunting season and actually harvest an animal, uh, then you have to take your— you Not that there's anything animal. wrong with Norwegians, right? No, but Norwegians <laughs> are—in uh, fact, the Norwegians set two different—I mean, won the gold medal in a couple running events. So, yeah, the Norwegians <laughs> do well. So, um, anyway, you had your hunter host. I had the hunter host. Went in with uh, five, six horses scouting. Um, found a bunch of elk, like 900 elk. Um Probably, you know, eight or ten bulls between 340 and 360. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were still growing. So <clears throat> I don't know if they would have grown five inches or 15 to 20 inches, but they were still growing. The tops, you could tell, were not fully mm-hmm. developed, but right. the bottoms were good. So picked out some elk, picked out some areas we wanted to go into, um, rode the divide where you can look at 11,000 feet. There was elk up at 11,000 feet. Most of the big bulls, again, were in that 95 to 10.5 range. Mm-hmm. Didn't see any b- really big bulls at 11 mainly cows and, and smaller bulls up high, and the bigger bulls were in big bachelor groups down low. And then from there, you know, we rode out and made a game plan. And so the decision was, if there was no snow and it was hot weather, which what the forecast was, to go back in where we'd seen some of the bulls. And we nicknamed one of the places Bull Basin. And so that's where we headed because there was one day of kind of spotty weather and another day of a little bit. Um, so the season starts on a Friday, which is October 1, and we went in on a Tuesday night. So we went in Tuesday night um, and obviously didn't really see much then. We saw a few elk, and then Wednesday um, we scouted all day, and um, I looked one direction, and uh, my hunting partner hunted, looked a different direction, and we spotted um, multiple bulls. Um, I found a really big bull. It was exceptionally uh, big, and we decided we would try and locate that. So we went up the next day together on the same ridge and tried to relocate him. And then the next day, so that was uh, spot him on a Wednesday. Um, found him again on Thursday. Nope, did not find him, find him on Thursday. I found the bull that I ended up killing on Thursday On Thursday evening. So you saw him so on Wednesday, was our backup bull. and you never found him I spot him around 10, 1030, and watched him until about noon, 1230. And then he went into some a, a timber pocket, which we, when we were scouting, that's where we saw some other. We didn't see this particular bull there. But when you're scouting it, if you, you don't want to get in there too much and blow him out because you can yeah, you him. blow him. So back. we could spot about half to about 60% of the area from where we our spotting location is. But once I decided I wanted to kill that bull, uh, I also stayed back until the, the season started. So when the season started, 
I went in a little bit closer, so I had a closer shot because I spot him at about fifteen hundred yards, which is not a shot. Is that what you were phone camming with? Is about fifteen hundred yards on that bull? When, and it, and it, it was, was windy, fifteen fifty so to sixteen hundred yards. So it was a little shaky. Cam. Yeah. Yeah. So that bull was for sure a three seventy net type bull, and maybe mid three eighties. Uh, you know, gross. Hard, hard to say. Biggest bull I've ever seen. Big bull. Guiding, hunting, scouting, anything. I've never seen a bull bigger than that on the hoof, um, even in Yellowstone Park. And Jasper, I've seen bulls close to that big, but I would say not bigger. Right. And I've never hunted Arizona, New Mexico, or Nevada, so I can't say that there obviously are, there's bulls bigger than this. But as far as Wyoming goes, it's super about as big bull. as you're going to get. Yeah, it was a super bull. You're going to get low, 50 inch, 50 inch uh, beams, 40 inch spread, and then multiple points over 20. You know, you over can get 20 lots inches. of good basketball players, but you can't make many shacks. Well, and he didn't have he didn't he wasn't uneven at all. So his yeah. his net score versus gross would have been very close and big mass. Probably at least a nine-year-old bull. I mean, I'd say minimum eight, but I'd say nine to ten. Mm-hmm. And the bull I shot was probably between ten and twelve. So my bull was probably a little bit older. Mm-hmm. This bull was very confident. He was bugling when I spotted him, so I kind of recognize his bugle a little bit. Mm-hmm. All those big bulls sound different than a, like a fi- than a four or five-year-old bull. Right. A little deeper, a little more, you know, throaty, a little more, you know, clunking and everything else. When they get older, do they have a deeper, clunky, growling? Typically, sometimes they don't hit, hit as high of a bugle. They don't whine as much. They kind of start lower, and then they can still have a high-pitched bugle, but it has more it has more depth and variety to it. Where a, a, a younger bull has more high pitching and more squealing, but not as not as guttural. You could say just a lower voice. I mean, a, a higher voice. The bigger bulls have more pitch to them, and sometimes a big bull may not even have that high squeal. Um, but these bulls still had, a, I, I would say, a good bugle with a lot more raspiness and throatiness than the young bulls. Um, so spot, you know, watch until dark and that bull that I ended up killing, he, he, he was right on the top. Um, and then, so opening day, go in, see this big bull that, you know, the, the bull I ended up killing, but don't, I'm not, at this point, I'm not really hunting for him. Yeah. You're still looking for Yeah, And he's Johnny about, he's, he's the farthest bull away. So he's the furthest up the mountain on the other side, super easy to see. So we watch him, and then you hear all these other bulls in the trees, bugling, 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 and then you're trying to locate one, and then you finally see one, and it comes out, and then you see another one. So that went on all day, until, and, and just before dark, we had bulls coming by at 125 yards or some at 300 yards. I could have shot at with the last hour of shooting light. There was five bulls under 300 yards. They were all five- and six-point bulls. So then... How far? Under 300 yards. Oh, wow. So one of them was 125, another one was 250. Of course, another Mr. one Big, was 250. Mr. Big's not there with it, 200 yards. And then I could hear other bulls broadside. still off the edge. So we decided we'd hunt their first light. So we started, we, we got there before daylight. Um, had to ride quite a ways on a horse because there's not, there's water right where the elk are, but there's not, we, we don't want to camp there with the horses. So we camp down another valley and have to ride up through the divide. Right. But anyway, with horses, you can, you can stretch your, if I had to do it on foot for everything, it'd be a lot harder. Right. Um, so anyway, that next morning there was elk everywhere. That big bull was out again, running around with cows, but the really Billy big bull, I never saw, never heard him, saw bulls down below and they would finally show themselves. And probably saw, I mean, sometimes we would see as many as 10, 15 bulls a morning or night just in that valley. But some of the elk were already kind of cutting over from one basin to the next as they were pulling off of cows and getting done rutting. Because um, this was October 2nd now. Uh, and October 1st, they were really doing this. Um, you would just be, there's one of the saddles we sat on. They would literally walk underneath us at two, 300 yards. 
and cut through and then cut through another saddle and drop into another big basin. And they were working to the, you know, they were they would have been working to the kind of northeast. The valleys ran north and south pretty much. And the south side is 11 to 12,000 foot mountains. And then as you drop down, the, the, the ridges drop down to, you know, 10,000 and then eventually 9,000 until you get to, towards the trailheads. Um, so we were hunting in the wilderness area. And we didn't see any grizzly bears, saw a couple of deer, lots of sheep. And then, you know, I decided, okay, three days now, and I don't know for sure if I've even heard that bull again. And I was worried that maybe during the night that he'd slipped out with some of the other, you know, maybe took some cows or just got tired. Or maybe he got in a fight one night with another bull and hurt himself. Who knows? But whatever, he, whatever happened, he wasn't around. And so that morning, but and, and it gets it's really bright. So now it, the bad weather is, it, the good weather becomes bad weather. It's too bright, and you get bad thermals during the day and wind. And so I know if I, if I wait too long and try and shoot across a canyon, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be impossible to hit him without probably missing or wounding um, just because of the, 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 the currents of the wind. And the elk, by about 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock, go into the trees. Right. And so then you have the whole day kind of wasted. And you kind of got to sit there. So when I spotted him, it was one of those crappy days, foggy, light mist, rain a little bit, a little bit of snowflakes. And the elk were kind of in and out all day. But once I located him and I, I just didn't want to bother him, I didn't want the wind to swirl or me scare another elk and have it scare him. So that's why I left. But when I last saw him, you know, on Wednesday, he was in an easy place to hunt. And then Thursday, Friday, nothing. Um, so anyway... We got there in, in about an hour, about 45 minutes to an hour after daylight, the, the, the sun was starting to expose the hillside. And I kind of waited until I had some sun there so I could see a bullet impact, but I didn't want too much sun. So I, I dropped down the ridge, and it was a really long shot. I don't normally shoot that far. Um, it was just over 900 yards. And, um, but with, with very minimal wind, my first shot just barely missed him, and then the second shot hit him basically dead center of mass. And I expected him to go left, and he went right back into the trees. So I had one shot uh, at a yellow Could patch. You, you, you followed your, obviously. You I can see the your, hits. I can see the yes. second shot hit him. The, like, that great feedback on the first shot then. Yeah, it, it, like I, I just had a little more wind than I expected. Not bad, but at that range across the canyon, you don't know for sure because the sun was hitting over there, and it changed the wind currents. Had I shot maybe 20 minutes earlier when there was no sun. Perfect. Who knows? And I... And <clears throat> And, you know, I, I, I probably should have taken out my rangefinder. I was just shooting straight straight line, and I probably should have taken out another 10 or 15 yards. Not a lot, but it would have made a little bit of a difference. But anyway, it, I, I saw exactly where the bullet hit. Instant correction, hitting good. The second shot, um, he, was, he was in the trees, and I think my bullet actually probably hit a branch because when I got over there, you could see there was a bunch of branches you couldn't have seen. But anyway, I, I, stood the, I, I kept on where he was at for 15 minutes, didn't take my eyes off. He never came out. And my gut feeling was he was still alive but hit bad and that he was leaning against a tree or laying between two trees because if he went more than 15 yards or even five yards in one direction, I would have seen him 100%. Just a tiny little patch of timber that he was in. Yeah, and there was no big connection, so he couldn't stay in the trees and, and without, you know, without me seeing him mm -hmm. leave. So I knew that he had to be there. So there was not like, sometimes they'll have a strip of timber, you know, where they can stay right. in the trimber. There was none of that because so it, it was almost 11,000 feet. You hung back there and waited. You saw that he yep. was, he was and then really so we, hurt or dead, and you couldn't. So you, yeah, you I cleared it, so I always wait for a follow-up shot. Now I know what the wind's doing, and I know the ballistics are perfect. So as soon as he sticks himself out, I'll be able to hit him again. So he didn't, but I was my gut feeling was he was either going to die 
or he was still barely alive. Because if he would have rolled, I would have probably seen him also. It was mm-hmm. a really steep hill. So we took the horses down, tied up their two riding horses, and led the horses up the hill. It took us maybe, it was about 1,250 vertical feet up. And um, when we got about 200 yards away, I broke off uh, and left the horses back about 50 yards and stayed ahead. And then as I got closer, I, I watched the wind and I dipped to the right and kind of made a little dog leg button hook around him. And then I, I, he never saw me, but he was still alive, but wasn't really moving. It wasn't moving. And he was leaning against a tree. So I think he'd heard or smelled the horses, but didn't know really what was going on. And I, and I did a double lung shot on him at 40 yards. And he was so sick, he didn't even move when I shot him. He just stayed there. And then all of a sudden, he basically fell over dead. So he was probably wouldn't have gone anywhere. But had I came up underneath him and he spooked, he could have gone right or left in, into a place where he couldn't have got the horses effectively. And this way, we could get the horses right to him. We got our photos cut out some of the, the dead tree branches, quartered him up, and then led the horses right to the carcass. So it made, made the pack out easy. You know, a, a big elk, when you quarter them and short quarter them, you can easily get an elk on two horses. A big Alaska, you, you know, Canada moose would take three to four. But this was a big bull, probably an 800-pound bull, I would guess, live weight, 750, 800. He was really skinny, um, had a bunch of broken tines. He'd been fighting. And then, you know, so we packed out that night, um, to, to our spike camp and got back just before dark. And then the next day we had about a half a day pack out. So, I mean, what, what I would learn from this, not what I would give people advice on, is that, so this was not a general season area. There's a lot of general season areas in Wyoming that are similar to this. Uh, this was a... And what's, what's the other option? Tell, so it's lim- limited entry in general. So, so it's limited entry. You're going to need at least three points to get drawn in Wyoming. So your easiest areas to get drawn for in Wyoming, if you want a bull... Is your general areas when that, those are taking? And three a general to four years. doesn't mean that you can go buy it at Mini Mart. It means you have no, to. No, it's a general. It's a general. It's an area that a Wyoming resident can hunt without drawing. But it's an area that a non-resident, and I think the, the non-residents what get sixteen or eighteen percent of the tags. Yeah. No, it's less than twenty. Yeah, sixteen, I believe. And so, so the general areas, a lot of them will be wilderness areas. Some of them will be forest service areas, and of course, if there's private land in it, that's a different thing. You got to get permission. Um, so in this case, there are some good general areas, but there's I've never seen a general area with this kind of elk in it. You know, we saw multiple bulls scouting over 340. Uh, during this hunt, looking long, long distance, I saw other bulls 330 to, three, say, 350. The bull I shot ended up being that low 340s. Not, he's not quite 350. He's got too many broken tines, and, a f- and his thirds are too short. But I knew when I shot him that he wasn't going to be a Boone and Crockett bull. Super good you know, bull, though. The bull I saw was potentially a Boone and Crockett bull. And even in scouting, I never saw another bull that big. So, what's your plan going forward? Are you gonna Are you gonna try to draw generals? Are you gonna save up and try to so, do a limited entry? Unit so, my again? advice to somebody, and what I would do on this, so this, so twenty five percent of the tags go to people with no points or less random than draws. random draw. Yep. And then seventy five percent go to people like myself who had max or at least max for the area that you need. Maybe the general area needs four. Another area like Brian was talking about needs seven or eight points. So those are guaranteed tags. The 75% of the tags go to that person. In my case, if I really like this area, which I do, and I wanted 100 again, I would put in for it in the general drawing. Um, and hopefully I'm in the random draw at 25% of the people. And I maybe get, maybe it's a less than, you know, one, one, a half of a percent or whatever it is, but it's still a chance of getting drawn. Right. And then I put in for three years or four years. 
And then if I don't want to wait 15 years, I can go hunt a good general area with an outfitter or do-it-yourself hunt. Yeah, it's a good strategy. And uh, then that way you have a good hunt. But then if you get lucky, because there's no chance of me really getting drawn in a general area either, it's still, still the random draw. And if, this unit has random draws. A lot of the really, really good units like this don't even have a but random there's enough. Tag. They give enough points that there's random draws. So I don't know how many non-residents would be in the random. I'm guessing a couple. I think there's... Two in the regular and one in the special. Yep, in, in the random for the twenty-five percent. I believe so. It's been a long time. Since so I there's three that. tags that are, that somebody could draw on this unit that I hunted, uh, and then obviously you know three times that many if you get in the high high points. But it, it was and, and the nice thing is a lot of your good elk areas in Wyoming are in the sheep areas. So it's a it's a chance. Let's say my I already have 22, 23 points for sheep. Mm -hmm. So I'm not max, but I'm as high as, I'm I'm max for like these areas. I'm not max for unit 12 or like unit 19. Right. But for one, two, three, four, five, I have enough points at 23 going in next year that I should draw unless they change something. Right. A guaranteed sheep tag. Yeah, you'll draw. And that's the nice thing about Wyoming. I've been able to pull the trigger on three different species, three different years. I did it first with a deer. Uh, with like nine or ten points, Deer, moose, I did it with moose elk, with nine. I no see with nineteen points going in, so I would have been the twentieth year. I did it with elk with fifteen points, and I do it with sheep, hopefully with twenty-three. So, and then that leaves antelope. I have one less than max, so I could draw any area in, in Wyoming with antelope. But I didn't want to have two in the same year and be a conflict. So you enjoyed the wilderness hunt with this. It's great. I mean, the thing about the wilderness hunt, 25% of the time, it's going to be hell weather, and you won't be able to hunt this high country. We would have had to come in lower and hunt this out. We probably would have spent on forest service, not wilderness. If you get in some of these high areas, if you get like a foot of snow at the end of September. Those right, all come bailing they'll, out. They'll there. blow out of there. Yeah. They'll drop down, and they'll hunt, go with private land, and the, and the national forest is not wilderness. But early, and then early rifle hunts, so that this is a great archery area, too, if a guy wanted to hunt with a bow. And you can actually draw this, because this, you can, I, I think it's a type four, I mean, so it's there's a type a, one. There, yeah, but there isn't, there's a. There is a, I think there's an archery only. There's a archery. Archery only, yep. only tag for it. Yep. That you can hunt in September. Yeah. That's they true. don't have a muzzleloader season in Wyoming, so that right. doesn't help you. Right. Um, but yeah, in Wyoming is the only state in the lower 48 that in wilderness you have to go with the guide. Wyoming, Montana, Oregon, um, Washington, they all have wilderness so how areas. Far, well, how far a ride back was it? You said about a half a day? With fast horses, four hours. Four hours. And you were on four, walkers. Four hours to our, where, we, where we camped. Yep. And then another hour or so where we were hunting, hour and 20. Unbelievable out. country. So oh, if, yes. if these Tennessee, were they Tennessee walkers? Foxtrotter, Tennessee Fox walker Trotter. types, yeah. So if they get loose, can you outwalk a Tennessee <laughs> walker or a Foxtrotter? No, you cannot. <laughs> because when we were scouting, we got held up on these rams and got all excited, and I was taking pictures, and <laughs> and we were about five minutes late getting back to the horse, and we were about seven, 700 yards from the horses, 600 yards. They One of them, whatever, <laughs> I think there was a grizzly. We saw three grizzlies that day, and I don't know if it was a grizzly or whatever. One of them pulled loose, and the other ones, we just tied to some rocks, we should have hobbled them and tied them to the hobbles. But um, in this case, you know, one got loose, another one pulled off, and uh, they all decided to walk back to our camp, which for us was over a two-hour walk. And we could see them almost the whole time. And then when, they got, when we knew they were on the trail going back to camp, because we left three horses in camp, so we knew what they were going to do. They were just right. going to go back and hang out with their buddies, and they got some feed there and everything. So we just did a shortcut and didn't have to climb that extra three or 400 vertical feet. <laughs> then, then we went down a really steep mountain, though, without a trail. So everybody's feet were pretty sore. I didn't really expect you know, Did you I have had, some choice words for the horses that day? You know, not so bad. I needed the <laughs> exercise, so I wasn't mad. 
But, um, you know, we had our packs on. We had water and food, so it wasn't like we left everything on the horses. So I have a question for you. Let's say I'm a max point holder right now. I got 15 points. Mm -hmm. Would you suggest I go hunt this area, this unit, um, with an outfitter? This one or one or two of the other ones are like it that are exceptional. Which, what would they? So this one, this one, and what would the other two be? Mm, you know, I don't know the numbers honestly. Um, but most of the, the the best elk hunting is in the mid fifties to the mid sixties. Those mm -hmm. units. And then what would? Uh, what Fif yeah, are you looking for units? Like from sixty from from unit like I want to say yeah like I mean I would fifty fifty three through the mid sixties. Those are typically a lot of your most famous areas that outfitters are in you know that's the area and, and south are those south all of cody matitzi thermopolis yeah and that's all going to be max point holders. not all of them there's some good areas in there that are general season just over the hill from where you're at was a general season area that takes three or four points that has not quite as good of elk but really good elk so then my next question is why did you pick this area um because several friends have hunted it um, the, there's a landowner that I know that has some good hunting there that has spoke highly of it. Um, it's an area that has sheep, so I can scout for sheep, <laughs> you know, so that's another issue. But it honestly it just has a lot of 340 plus bulls. But when you start getting like we're talking a book bull, uh, you know, a book bull is 370, 375, um, you know, all time. And, and that is rare. And this area can produce it. I'm sure there's a handful of elk every year that are alive in here that would make 370 net. But that's a that's a heck of a bull, right? You, and that's kind of what I was looking for. And I did see one. I didn't see scouting, but I saw close. And then this bull was way bigger than twenty inches, at least bigger than anything I saw scouting. So biggest bull I've ever seen. And the one thing about this area, though, like where we shot, where I shot this elk, there is no outfitter camp camp close. So if you had hunted with an outfitter, it would have been physically impossible to get to these elk before daylight without riding for three to four hours in the dark. Really? So an outfitter, that's the disadvantage of an outfitter in like wilderness areas, is that they have to camp and there's designated outfitter camps. They can't spike out like we did. So I could, I could take a pup tent and sleep and, you know, there's some good horse feed here and then I can be an hour from the elk so we don't scare them versus having to be three or four hours. The outfitter camp that was closest to this was at least a three to four hour ride. So a lot of these areas don't get hunted hard because the outfitter camps are too far away. Um, and so another camp in the area would actually be better. There's another outfitter camp uh, not too far from where some other big bulls we'd seen. And they would have been more like a two-hour, hour and a half or two-hour ride from the big elk. So that would be an easier camp. Where we hunted was kind of in the no-man's zone where there's not any outfitters camped. Now, if you go with sheep hunting with an outfitter, they can have designated spike camps that they, they're more flexible on. So they can camp closer where the sheep are. The elk, though, they have to camp where they have the, the long-term permit. So if an outfitter buys a camp for another outfitter, they, they, have, they get the, the use in that area, but they have to be at their, their, their camp. Or they can, like, trailer from the house. Let's say I know some outfitters will they'll trailer from a house and just have day use. But in general, most of your elk outfitters set a wall tent camp in. They pack in hay. They have to have the high lines between the, the trees, uh, or they have to hobble their horses so they don't, you know, paw up the trees too much. So, but yeah, and that's the nice thing about hunting with a, or a wilderness area if you have a, a friend there that can take you. But a lot of the guys aren't capable of doing it. So these outfitters are, it's better for most people to go with an outfitter in an area like this. Getting an elk out of there without horses is, it, it would be impossible. So if you had to do it all over again, would you draw the same unit? Would you do the same? I do everything the same. Um, I would just get maybe lucky and not have the. I just we just got unlucky that bull right, left. Bull bull left. Why would he, why did the other, all the other bulls were stayed in there? All the other big bulls I saw in there 
were there on Bad Wednesday, luck. they were there Thursday, and they were there Friday. I swear, sometimes these big, not sometimes, most of the time these giant animals are just graced. They just, they, they get, they, they just are like, they're, they're like a ghost, you know. They, they figure it out somewhere, and they just show up missing, man. That's how they get big. Well, so, for example, where I, where I shot the bull from that I did, that giant bull was 450 yards from there, from, from where I shot from. So he was exactly half the distance between. So you'd have killed him dead or in a hammer. Super easy. And he, you could tell he'd been hanging out in there. When I went through there, when we, we actually had to go right through where he'd been. Just all ripped up. Yeah, the feedlot. So they, they'd been in there. It's just bad luck that they, he left before we were there. Because it never scared him. didn't spook any of the elk. We, we waited to make sure the thermals went in our face before I dropped down on top of him. And I stayed way back and glassed and him in a thousand yards. And you saw him up till the day before or two days before? Two days before. No, I saw him on Wednesday, and the season opened on a Friday. Uh. So I saw him Wednesday, and then so I, I didn't bother him the last half Wednesday. So I figured I'd come back Thursday morning and locate him and never saw him again. We so. shot a really nice bull. He's got really good fronts. He's really heavy. He's a pretty bull. You know, he's busted up a yeah. little bit. But I mean, it, it was no Great difference ball. in difficulty. I mean, had I shot the other bull, he was a closer shot. The other bull never went up high like this one did. He was he, when I saw him, he was hanging down more closer to the bottom. What's cool about this bull, and 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 just so everybody knows, we're looking at him right now. Uh, if you ever swing by Spearfish, South Dakota, he's in the Bone Cave. But the the cool thing about him is he can't have that many. If he wasn't if he wasn't broken and his points were full. He wouldn't have that many deductions. 49 by 49, he's just a super wide, square, big old mature yeah. bull. I mean, he, he's a cool-looking bull. And the other bull was probably only 50 to 52 and only 40 inches inside. This is, I think, 46 inside and 49 outside. But the other one had time length that averaged tremendous bigger. Yeah, really. he was really, yeah. really the Biggest I've ever seen on an elk, really. Yeah, giant. You know? Well, so a resident that I don't know killed a bull in there. Um, I think opening day two that, in my opinion, was a three ninety plus. Really? Yeah, he was. Um, it was seven by seven, and he killed them just in the forest service. He wasn't with an outfitter. He and his buddy went in and just happened to run into him. I think they just got lucky and and you know made a good shot. Well, that's the, that's the thing about Montana and Wyoming. I mean, we hear that in stories from from our members and from hunters every year. They went in and turned up a 360, 370 bull. That's why it's worth it to always be well, applying. Opening day is key in, the, in this mean, area. Yeah. You either need to, and this is not a very long season. I think the season only goes until, was it October 20th, October 15th yeah, or 20th? I don't remember. It wasn't a long rifle yeah. season. It wasn't like it went until earlier, mid-November. So you had a fairly, you only had two or three weeks to hunt. And then once the animals started moving, they were going to go to private land, um, and they were going to make it more difficult to access them. Um, and they were going to pull out here. So they would concentrate, which right when I was here, everything was scattered over the course of dozens of miles in every direction. Now, if you went late, I mean, they're going to be more concentrated, but those big bulls will be in the timber like a mule deer right until dark, and they may not even come out where you can see them. So this way we had, I could hear them, I could see them, you could smell them. You had multiple ways to locate a bull. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I had days I could shoot five six-point bulls. No, not five without stalking them. I mean, like from one glassing point, without actually even putting a stock on one. I mean, some days I would see 15 bulls. I probably saw 50 bulls during the season, but I only hunted one or two places. And some of them, I, one, the furthest bull I spotted was seven miles away. And he was, a, he was also a big bull like the one I shot. But he, none of those bulls were close to the one that I, turned, that I couldn't find. So I hunted him until I decided that he was gone. And then I shot the next best bull. 
Right, and there was no packing up and trying to find him. He could have went anywhere. No, I mean, you were and, like, and if he if he dropped in another valley, it would be impossible because now he probably left his cows. So now you're looking for a bull that's starting to go reclu reclusive. You know, because the bull that I shot, he was starting to pull away from the cows. He would be with the cows at first light, and then within about 20, 30 minutes of first light being over, he pulled away from the cows. So he would break off by himself, and when I shot him, he was at least 100 yards from the nearest elk, maybe 200 yards. And a smaller bull had picked up his cows. I think they, he fought a little bit, and he was, like, tired. He just didn't want to deal with the cows and the bull anymore. He would still bugle. Huh. Like when I shot him, he was bugling. What a crazy experience. I mean, honestly. Yeah, because uh, never. you always think of hunting elk bugling with a bow. Right. Or a muzzle loader. Right. And this is kind of cool. But you, it's right at the end, though. Had the season been like, if they had a September 25th, it would be too easy probably. But, the, but right around the end of September, October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, those bulls totally start to change. At any day, they're just going to be pulling off of the cows. Wow, good yeah, weather you. event or something. A weather event, they'll all move together. All right, well, great job, congratulations. Well, thank you. Holy smokes, what a uh, um, what a bull and what a hunt! And uh, now, fifteen more years, you'll be back there again. You 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 won't you you'll just start applying and draw somewhere. Easier, there's some good you know? general season areas, but you, I don't think there's any general season areas as good as the is this area. Right. But the thing is, this area is tough, though, when you get the weather. So if you if you have the weather, then you got to hunt it differently. Yeah, this did. is a good area, but it's not a slam dunk. It's it, there, it's, it's poses, a slam dunk archery. It poses some different challenges. Too. With an archery tag, it's it's that would be a slam dunk. Like it would be too many bulls. You would actually be calling a big. <laughs> I bull. don't know. I wouldn't mind finding out that. Well, you'd have too many bulls. You'd actually be you'd be actually chasing away the hurt, the uh, the small bulls, satellite bulls. You'd actually want to just go in quiet. I was talking to Justin Raber, a friend of ours here uh, in town, and, and he had a very similar situation. He has some private lands over in Wyoming, so he gets a tag every year. And he said it was just crazy. He would be trying to slip in, and he had bulls all around him. And he said he hunted the same herd bull three days in a row, and he finally just gave up because there was like six cows and like seven bulls on it. And he's like, he kept getting in, getting in. He said this doggone bull kept showing up as a nice six point. And he's like, dude, I just couldn't. He just screamed, and I'm like, I'm shooting. It was bowl. destiny. Uh, it, it was, well, it was obviously, you know, I think you get wore down after a while trying to get in there when there's so many. And he's just like, yeah, that's good enough. I'll kill that bull. So, you know, good for you, man. What what a hunt. What an experience. And yeah. Uh, the, only, yeah, the only thing I would do differently, I would clear, I would have cleared my schedule better. But because Canada opened this year, I didn't expect Canada to open for hunting. I needed to go up and help my friends on the bighorns. So had that not opened, I would have had a way, way, had to have more time. And I would have been able to go in even a day or two earlier and stay longer. Well, and what sucked for you is that they didn't open, didn't open, didn't open. They didn't communicate. And then, boom, okay, let's do it. And it was just, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was just too bad. Kind of barely got enough guides and, and had yeah. anybody that was hunting in August, early September, because the season opened. I mean, they didn't, Canadians could start accepting American hunters on the 10th of August, and we, the Bighorn starts September 1. Yeah, and on the 9th, we had a flood of people jumping on planes heading up there, so pretty crazy. Yeah, no, it was, uh, but that, that, that made it, because you, you didn't really expect that to be open, and uh, on a COVID year, you're putting out a lot of fires, and hunters are scheduling, it's changing their schedules. <laughs> are you going to be a personal on, guide on next a, year? On a on COVID this? year, I'm hoping that we don't have any more COVID years for quite mm -hmm. a while. Yeah, and that's why a lot of guides and outfitters hunt Africa. And they hunt South America, so they can go hunting in February, March, and April when they don't have any clients. Right. That's why a lot of them like spring bear hunting. But once you start into September and October, I mean, no matter where you're hunting in North America, if you're hunting any animal or you're hunting in Asia, 
Russia, you know, you have hunters in the field starting the end of August. So it is difficult. It, it takes some of the fun out of it when you have, uh, yeah, again, I, that's why a lot of guys like to hunt your doll sheep and your other animals before you, your main clients are going. Well, good job, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations, man. The old man. seven mag strikes again. Yeah, the seven mag is good. It's not it's not a three thirty eight, but it doesn't have too bad a recoil. Yeah, but it's it, you don't have to carry. In this case, I was shooting a one eighty bullet yeah. uh, at about twenty nine hundred feet a second, and the bullet penetrated the the, the distance of the elk when it was in the skin on the other side. Yeah, it wouldn't have been any more dead with a three thirty eight. No, you no. see, you can see the impact better on the animal, the bigger bullets. Yeah, um, but also that I could follow my shot perfectly with his gun with a break Much and see easier. where I hit. Yeah. yeah. Especially if with, with the light of gun that you were shooting. It wasn't super heavy. So, well, good job. Yeah, congr awesome. Congratulations on a great bull and a tremendous adventure. That's a good story, if too. You're, if you're looking to get to Wyoming and you're wondering, how do I get on these hunts? How do I find this opportunity? How do, how do we do this, you know, general unit, uh, limited area draw units, all this stuff? You just go ahead and give us a call, 605 6448000 or go to rollingbones.com just about on any page you land on it's going to have a little button that says help me and uh, you just go to rollingbones at info uh, yeah rollingbones at info right rollingbones info info at rollingbones Info at rollingbonesoutdoors.com. It's super Boy, easy, it's guys. My, yeah. Just go to info. Yeah. At <laughs> Just click the button that says get a hold of us. <laughs> but anyway, we appreciate you listening. Again, if you need help with any of that, um, that's what we're here for. Uh, we would love you to come check out our membership, see if we couldn't serve service you in any way, shape, or form. We offer service access, value, and education. So, again, my name is Brian Maiman, along with Brian Martin, Brad Dana, and Bleep today. Uh, we're happy to have you. Be sure and subscribe to Hunt the World wherever you find your podcast. You'll find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many others. Also, we would love to have you, uh, you know, uh, um, give us a like, review, our, uh, leave us a review, tell us what you're thinking, and let us know whatever to other topics you have. We have some great topics coming up on EHD and the drought right now. We're going to be talking about that, and uh, um, and uh, we got a lot of them that are living out there for you to go review on elk hunting points and applications. So if you want to go look back in uh, um, in our other podcasts, we can help you with that too. But until next time, be safe, uh, safe travel, stay healthy, and happy hunting. <laughs>